0: which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. Everybody say Bethel. Now I want you to remember that Bethel means the house of God. The house of God. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is the house of God. He and all the people that were with him, and he built an altar there. And he called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. El Bethel means the God of the house. El Bethel is the house of God. Bethel is the house of God. El Bethel is the God of the house of God, Bethel and El-Bethel, the house of God and the God of the house. Tonight, by the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach into your hearing for a few moments God and his house, God and his house. Would you help me in prayer right now? Pray that the Lord would quicken our thoughts and minds, send an anointing and a physical touch upon his servant now. Lord, we come asking you now. God, send your help to us. Speak to your people tonight, God, where my vocabulary runs short. That your spirit would say expressly to your people what you want to speak. Let every life and every heart be touched tonight. That we may recognize that there is a God in the midst of his house. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you greet a couple people next to you and just tell them God is in the house. For almost 30 years I have called CLC home. The majority of my life, I know I feel far too young to say this, but the majority of my life I have spent as a member of Christian Life Church. It's a good place to call home. Christian Life Church is a good place to attend. We're not a perfect church, but we're a good church. 54 years without scandal and church splits, we've had our issues, but it's a good church. It's God's church. CLC is my church. It's where I call home. It's where my family calls home. Not looking for another. This is where God planted me. I want to grow here. It is the house of God for my family. We chose to call CLC home. We chose this place as the house of God for my family. That's an option. I could choose other churches, but I chose CLC as the house of God for my, for my family. I, I'm glad. and that I'm glad we chose CLC as our family. I'm glad, I'm glad to worship with you. I'm glad that We are part of the same church body. I thank God for every one of you that are here tonight. I I thank God for your families. I thank God for the connections that we have. I thank God for your prayers. Uh, I thank God for your support. I I, I thank God for every phone call and text message and encouraging word that comes. I, I thank God for it. But we must be careful not to get so caught up with Bethel, the house of God that we forget or lose focus on or fail to emphasize El Bethel, the God of the house. Because in the midst of the church, there is a God of the church. And without God, we're just another social gathering place. We're no different from one of the lodges or clubs or meeting points in town. We'd be just as well off to be part of the country club or the local lodge. It's it's just, but God changes that because now we are more than just a place to meet, it's more than just the house, but now there is a God in the midst of the house. Now I want to remind you of something I said last week. I challenge all of our members that may have been on vacation or traveling last week, if you haven't logged online, and listen to the message I preached last week, not because it was a great message but because it was a word from the Lord that I spoke. It's about an hour and eight minutes long. I preached a long time probably one of the longest messages that I've preached in the last few years but I challenge you to find time to log on and listen to that message because there's some things that I said in that message that is very important to the future of the church. In the early parts of that message I want to reiterate tonight something that I said For those of you that might have missed it when I said it last week, but there are four climates in every healthy church. There are four climates, and those climates are so very important to what happens in the church. First, there's the spiritual climate. It involves everything that is spiritual about a church, and then there's the physical climate of the church, and it involves buildings and locations, and there's been a lot of emphasis there. I'm even going to mention it again tonight. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on buildings and locations and structures. And, and uh, we've, we've had daughter works. And, and So there's a lot to do with the physical climate of the church. Then there's the, the social climate of the church. And that involves relationships and connections within the church and throughout the church. And this, this has a lot to do with how well we do discipleship how well people are connected to the church, how we stay together. And then the fourth dynamic is the financial climate of the church. And that's very important because ever since the book of Acts, there's always been a cost to revival. And so the financial climate of the church involves the financial well-being and welfare of the church. And that requires every person that considers themselves a member uh, to be part of what God has planned and designed for The church. That means we support the church with tithes and with offerings. And so there is the financial climate of the church uh, that involves the financial well-being. We can be a church of 300 that's supported by 100 and the church is never going to function very well because you've got a third of the church trying to carry the load of the church. And so God didn't design it that way. It's not everybody give an, an, an equal amount. That's not how God designed it. He says to whom much is given the same as much as will be required and so he puts it in a percentage term and God says give a tenth give a tithe of everything in your income, and so God put it, put us all on an equal playing field. Not that we're giving the same dollar, but we're sacrificing in the same portion as God has prospered us. Then beyond that is where we give in our sacrificial giving and go beyond that, and that is according to the way you see. God bless you. The tithe is not about blessing. The tithe is about returning to God what He has given you. Ninety percent belongs to you after you give ten percent to God. God. Owns it all until you redeem that 90% with the 10%. Then God says, Now, if you want a blessing pressed down, shaken together, and running over, now you give above and beyond. So that's the financial climate of the church and how it functions. And if any of these four areas of the church lack, the health of the church will be at stake, and the church will be struggling and uh, it's difficult on everybody. The church suffers, membership suffers, leadership suffers, everybody's struggling. Uh, we, we try to figure out, uh, you know, you look at churches and well, this church doesn't have youth and this church doesn't have elders and this church doesn't have leadership and it's really all connected to those four climates. Get those four climates right in a church and a church is going to flourish because that's how God has designed and built the church. But in the middle of everything that I'm talking to you about tonight, there is something that was said to me one time. I was questioning something about the church, talking to someone, and they looked at me, and they said, "Uh, you've got to remember this, (coughs) that there is... (coughs) Help me, Jesus. There is a God involved in everything. There is a God involved in everything. That means every time we have a question, a like or a dislike, we have to stop and consider the fact that regardless of the climates, regardless of, there is a God that is involved in everything. For every person in this room tonight I want to remind you that the church is more than just Bethel that's the church house that's the meeting place that's the gathering place we can have social events relational events all sorts of self help groups but the moment that a spiritual dynamic is is touched there must be a god involved in the house of god and in order for the church in order for Bethel to ever be effective in reaching our world there must be an el bethel that means there must be a god involved In the house. In everything we're doing, there is a God involved in the house. Whether you like the music or don't like the music, there is a God involved in the worship. Whether you enjoy the preaching or not, there is a God involved in every, doesn't matter what dynamic, no matter what, there is a God involved. So whether I feel like it or don't, there's a God involved. I'm going to worship. Whether I want to pray, or I'm going to pray because there's a God involved. Somebody offends me, there is a God that is still involved <clears throat> no matter how I feel no matter how offended I am doesn't matter what's going on in my life I need to stop and remind myself this is more than just a building more than just a group more than just getting together with my friends there is a God involved now when you look at this church It's become evident even to the untrained eye that as a church we are moving forward in some very incredible ways. Um, There are dimensions that this church has reached that I look around me and recognize how blessed we are. But I do not believe that we have reached the height to where we could ever start looking down our noses and say we have a corner on the market. My wife and I had lunch today. We found a new little Mexican restaurant here in town that we kind of enjoy. I've been to about three times. We went there for lunch today. And in my opinion, it's the best Mexican restaurant in town. And um, just a little plug for them. They didn't ask me. I won't call their name. You have to see me after service to find out. And remember, I was raised in Texas, so Mexican food was kind of on the menu every week. So I, uh, we went there today, and it's just the two of us, and that's unusual for us. And we sat there at the table, and we were talking a little bit about the church. And, uh, and in, our, in our discussion today, we're talking about some of the struggles, maybe, that we've seen, not, not in this church, but particularly. In in other churches. And in our conversation talking, I, I said to my wife, I have noticed something about churches that get a superior attitude toward others. When a church reaches a point that they believe I'm not just talking about having church pride. I think it's good, and, and by pride, I'm not talking about sinful pride. I'm, I'm loosely using the English word here, not the, 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 the original meaning uh, of, of having a bad spirit and a, and a haughty heart. But uh, I think church pride's good. That is believing in your church, loving your church, loving what your church does, loving the people in your church, feeling like, man, I go to the greatest church in the world. Because you ought to feel that way. Whether you like me or not, you ought to feel that way. And if not, if not, I I, I don't take losing people very well, but I'll I'll meet with you, do everything I can, because I want you to feel like this is the greatest church in the world. And if this church isn't meeting your needs, I want to know what we can do to try to help this church meet your needs, because I want you and your family to feel like this is the greatest place to worship God. And so I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Now, I call that church pride, and, and I don't mean anything negative by it. I just That's a term I use. I maybe need to come up with a better term. But uh, uh, I, I call it church pride, and I think that's a good thing. But we have to be careful not to reach a point of starting to feel like that we are superior. Can I talk to you tonight? because the moment we start feeling like we are better than everybody else we have it figured out our programs are better everybody can learn from us we have we are the best at it everybody we can look down our nose at everybody and everybody and, and when people come in the door they're made to feel like well who are you and we'll decide whether we're going to allow you Uh, to be part of this church as we look down and inspect them to see whether they uh, have uh, enough money to be able to attend here, drive the right car, live on the right, God forbid. We must be careful to never become superior in our attitude or actions to anybody, regardless who walks in. They come walking in the door of this church and they're not like you. You ought to open up your arms to them and say, come on and sit by me. Doesn't matter what background they come from. The apostle laid it out and he called them witchcraft people, whoremongers, liars. And he said, and such were some of you. And you know what I'm talking about because some of you came in with drugs and alcohol addictions all sorts of issues, but God came and saved you. Don't get haughty lifted up and thinking you're something or somebody because such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus. So so before we we put our mouth on somebody and start speaking evil about somebody what they've done, where they came from we better go ahead and start remembering where we came from and what God did for us and how God brought us out of the miry clay, turned our lives, so when we get this perspective right, we have to be careful not to get haughty and start thinking wow you know here we are and here everybody else is, Uh, I've watched churches fail, I've watched churches suffer, I've watched Churches struggle because they get a superior, better-than-everybody-else attitude. CLC, we have a wonderful church, a wonderful group of people, but don't ever get a superior attitude. The only thing that you need to feel is superior is our God is greater than all other gods. There is but one God. His name is Jesus. He's Jehovah of the Old Testament, became Jesus of the New Testament. He shed His blood for you and I. It was His blood that saved us, His grace and His mercy. Not by by, by good things that you have done, but by the precious blood of Jesus that you're saved. So we have to be careful and understand that God is moving our church forward in some amazing ways. God always challenges people to move. Look at your neighbor and tell them, God God challenges us to move. Sometimes we misunderstand what God is challenging when He challenges us to move. Sometimes we feel like when God challenges us to move, we get a little discontent where we are and think, "Well, maybe God's wanting to move me to a different church, a different location, uh, a different ministry to go." But so the truth is, is usually the movement that God is challenging us is a movement away from flesh and a movement toward Him. Can I talk to you tonight? But we must understand that God will position us at specific times to enter into situations that we've never seen or been in before. He will force us to step aside or to depend on others or God Himself to accomplish what He has chosen for us to do. Someone came to me this morning, and I'm not going to share the whole story. Someone came to me this morning and said, Pastor, I feel God nudging me and urging me, and I need to know the steps to take. I'm looking for what God has for me and what God is wanting to do in my future. I sense it, I feel it, but I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, that's somebody that God has been doing exactly what I'm preaching about tonight. That's the urge of movement that God is putting. Sometimes when we just feel discontent and don't really know what's going on in life, it's God. That that is has positioned us to where we are so that we will begin to have that drive and motivation to move forward in God. David slew a lion and slew a bear while watching sheep. But God was actually preparing him for something much bigger, a much bigger enemy. He would soon have to face a Goliath, the Amalekites, and eventually Saul. His victory over Goliath was not the apex of his ministry or his future. His victory over Goliath was only setting the stage for even greater things in his future. God was preparing a king for Israel. He Remember, he's anointed as a lad, but he had to deal with, with, with a lion, a bear, a Goliath, all sorts of Amalekites and Saul himself before he ever finally gets in the driver's seat. So where God has taken us to. David, I, I want you to compare it here, but when David was entering into the palace to eventually become king, it didn't take long for David to realize that obviously he didn't even know how to conduct himself in the palace. Sometimes what God is putting us through is teaching us how to conduct ourselves or how to handle things in our future. If you want to destroy someone, give them a position without responsibility. Can I say it again? If you want to destroy someone, give them position without responsibility. That means they have the authority without any responsibility. That's a, that's a bad place to be. God it wants to prepare us and often before He ever opens the door and says, now, here's what I want you to do. He works at preparing us and developing us. David was a shepherd boy. He watched sheep. He protected sheep. He fed sheep. He worked in fields. David understood grass for sheep. He understood what a, 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 a sick sheep might have looked like. He, he had no upbringing and no training no training for the palace he he wasn't a king's kid he didn't even have the manners of a king's kid he probably didn't know how to eat he there's a training process and, and we all have to go through them Gentry's sitting here tonight with his lovely beautiful wife destiny and we just pray for her all the time and uh, because she's she's trying to continue the training that my wife and I fell out for 24 years and 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 um, I, I couldn't tell you the number of times we'd be sitting at the table and, uh, and we would be eating and uh, uh, their mom would, <clears throat> she'd clear her throat and everybody at the table looks up and she would say, close your mouth when you chew. And we'd just go right on talking and sometimes that would happen because that's what you know, bringing up boys is like. And, and so we, we kind of came up, you know, my boys kind of came up through that with mom trying to train them and work on them. And I'm, I, I'm sure that now Destiny's she's going to hate us before it's all over because she's still probably working at training Gentry and all the, the, the ways of, uh, of, of the finer areas of life and trying to make him. But, but see, there, there's always a growth and a process. And as God moves us forward and takes us to the next place, we have to understand that where we are now may well be a training ground for where God is wanting to take us to. And so, when we're struggling in the wilderness, when we're struggling in the desert, when we feel like we're in a dry place, when we feel like, God, what are you doing in my life? Can I speak into that tonight and tell you, God is preparing you for what He has for your future, but you haven't learned the lesson here, now. And he can't take you to where he's going and wants to take you to until you learn the lesson of here. By the time David finished reporting to Saul, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. And an immediate bond was forged between the two of them. He became totally committed to David. From that point, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. Saul received David into his own house one day. No more to return home from his father. But David had to learn the process. God brought a Jonathan into David's life. God put David and Jonathan together. One writer said that God knit them together or intertwined their lives so that they could help each other. Jonathan, Jonathan was placed by God into David's life to teach him and to instruct him in the ways of the palace. Jo- Jonathan was strategically placed into David's life by God God for the purpose of David transitioning from a shepherd's field into a king's palace that he was anointed to go into and to be at and to live in. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Because you're not talking back to me right now. But you've got to understand that there's some things, some you're going to like and some you're not going to like. But God will bring some people into your life that may not rub you the right way and some may be difficult in you. But God, there is a God involved and he is aligning you and putting you with things and people so that he can position you and train you for what he wants to do in your future that was a pretty powerful word I just brought I'm glad you were impressed this is how God works he has places to take us to but we have to be willing to leave the comfort zone of where we are. We want to go to the next level, but we want to go to the next level from comfort zone to comfort zone. And the Lord wants to take you to next levels. He wants to take this church to the next level, but in order to do it, He's going to have to. He's going to have to take us into some times and seasons of struggle and transition to prepare us for where He's wanting to grow. Grow us to. But, but because before God takes us there, He's got to develop us and grow us. He will never take you to the next level until you prepa- you are prepared for the next level. Here's what happens. Not everybody celebrates the good things God's doing in your life. Saul became jealous of the notoriety of David's success. So Saul attacked David. David spent the next several years fleeing from Saul. David now ends up in his wilderness season. David had to trust and rely on God for help. He refused to, to uh, respond to the attacks of Saul. He was attacked both verbally and physically. But God eventually elevates him to, to the kingship that he had been anointed for. Now here's what I'm trying to get across to you. The more difficult, the more stubborn, the more we resist, the more we fight what God is doing, the more we fight the people that God has put in our life, the longer it's going to take for us to go to the next level. God calls us. Because he has a destiny to lead us to. But we won't go there alone. God will link us with a Jonathan and a Saul. Jonathan loved David. Saul hated him. There will always be a Jonathan and a... and and a Saul in every David because without a Jonathan and a Saul David would have ended up a complete failure but he bounced through a life of failures but there was a Jonathan and a Saul that kept David balanced and looking to God saying I can't do this without you my heart is overwhelmed but lead me to a rock that is higher than I whether it's the Jonathan day or it's the Saul day know this it's a god day and he's working it in your favor it's part of the journey it's not our destination it's part of the journey it's a test to prepare us to go to the next level sometimes we all we all need mentors and we all need people that we are mentoring And we all need peers. But sometimes our peers can be destructive to our future. Because they have expectations that they place on us without the wisdom of an elder. And then there are enemies that are in your life that are always up to no good. They're always trying to discourage you. They're always trying to fight at you. And here's your option. You can live angry with people or you can understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood. There are people, some knowingly and some ignorantly, used by Satan himself to afflict and harm. But in every bad situation, if you will handle it right, God will take you through that problem and you will learn lessons and go to the next level. Everyone will eventually be given an opportunity to move from your wilderness into your promised land. And I believe that I can speak to this church tonight and tell you that that what I see on the horizon for this church is that we are approaching another crossroads of opportunity. As a people, as a church, God has given us a space of time to rest, and God is getting ready to propel us into the future for us to be more prosperous than we ever dreamed that we could be. I want you to understand clearly tonight that this church is on a journey of faith because this is a faith walk. We don't always understand it. Buildings have been part of our process to get us to where we are. We have spent three years building a building and about nine months in the building until the Lord allowed a light to short out and create all kind of problems for us. Buildings are part of the process but they're not the destination. Bethel is a location. Lebanon is a location. Frankfurt is a location. Lafayette is a location. The future places we may plant churches are locations. (coughs) They're important. They're part of the process. But what is more important than the Bethel is the El Bethel. That is that in everything, whether it's Frankfurt, Lafayette, Lebanon, or wherever future that we may step into, there is a God involved in the process. Buildings are not the destination. We are journeying from Bethel to to El Bethel. I'm trying to create a concept shift in our mind and in our thinking tonight because we pull up and say wow I've come to church I want us to start pulling in this driveway past that nice sign and the beautiful landscaping and the incredible building and walk in and say I'm not coming to church. I want you to start saying I'm coming to the house of the Lord to meet with the God of the house. Understand. I understand we built this as a gymnasium. I know we lost the big foyer. I know we lost youth space. We're getting ready to work on that. I know that this, but this house ought to be reverenced as the house of God. I know we'll have dinners here. I know this is intended to be a fellowship hall when we build phase two. But this is the house of God. And when we walk in for a time of worship before church and after church everybody, including the children, ought to be taught, nope not today, we're reverencing this place today this is God's house today we reverence it as God's house we may have a dinner here next Friday but on Sunday it's the house of God I know it is a concept shift but this is a house of God somebody walked through a building the other day and said, you've been in this building how long? I said about nine months. And they're looking at the walls. And they, they walked around and they said, my Lord. People are literally tearing this building. This was an outsider. People are tearing this building up. Walked around the, and they're like, goodness gracious. This building looks like it's been lived in for ten years. We ought to be ashamed of that. Now you were all clapping in with me a moment ago. This is the house of God. It's the house of God. This isn't a racetrack. We may move all the pews and chairs out. And we may... We may have a dinner in here, a fellowship in here, a gala in here. We'll do all sorts of things and use it because we knew when we built it, it's multi purpose. But when we set up chairs and walk in here on Wednesday and Sunday, we need to walk through the doors with a different mentality. I'm not going to the gym, there's a gym down the road. But right now, this is the house of God. And when I go in, God is going to meet me here. I'm reverencing this place. This is my Bethel, and I'm coming to meet my El Bethel because there is a God involved in the house house. You liked me more before I made my strong statements, didn't you? We must understand that we're going somewhere as a church, as a people. And my question for you is very simple. There's a conscientious decision to be made if you're taking the journey with us as a church. We don't want anybody to be left behind. We want everybody to go with us. But you've got to make a conscientious decision because if not, if not, you will inadvertently get left behind. It's not because we want to leave somebody behind, but either you have to get on board and get with the program and become part of what we're doing and start praying with us, believing with us, having faith with us, working with us, laboring with us, getting on board with us, or either you're going to inadvertently just start feeling like, wow, I don't know, I'm just not fitting in around here. You can't fit in if you're not here. Part-time church We'll never get the job done. Get right in the center of what God is doing. You want to fit in? Just get in the center of what God's doing. Look for a place to volunteer. Look for a small group to get in. You don't Just find a place and say, I want to be in the middle. We don't want to leave anybody behind. But the church is embarking on a journey. And we've been in a journey for some time. But we're, in, we're embarking on the journey. Just like the children of Israel in the wilderness. But when they said, hey... We've, in, we've, we, we've surpassed this mountain long enough. It's time we go northward. There was something they had to know. And that is, you, you don't have to go. There was no demands. It was time. Let's pick up and let's go. You don't have to go. But the cloud is going. And the cloud represented the protection and provision of God's people. The fire is going. It's a direction through the midnight. It it provides the warmth. It's it's symbolic of the presence of God. And the rock is going and the scripture tells us emphatically that rock is Christ. So you have to understand when God gives the leadership direction for the church and says it's time for the church to move we've got to all get together and say I need to know how to pray. I need to know how to... We are on the move. We're a church that is moving. We're a church that is ready and I am not going to die face down in the wilderness while the church is Moving on, I want to go with the church if the clouds going and the rocks going and the fires going. Count me in, baby. I'm going with the church because that's where my safety and security and direction is. I know I'm spending our our Sunday nights preaching a little differently than I normally than I normally do, but the church has got to be intentional. This year, we we surpassed a membership of just over 300 people that call this place home. Our weekly attendance ranges somewhere 240 to 260. I think bounce around the last few weeks during summertime. We may be down a little in the winter time. It seems that our attendance is up a little, but our membership's a little over 300. Our attendance so somewhere in the 250 range, and we 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 now are moving into a new a new way of thinking. Uh, we, it didn't, we didn't just wake up one morning and get here. Those on our leadership team remember when we used to meet and sit down and I used to present the triangle and flip the triangle over and talk about team leaders and getting people on board. How many of you remember that? Uh, some of the team leaders that are here. And, and we talked about, I looked back at some of my notes this week, I was just kind of flipping through when I, when I made a statement said, we're at a membership of 125 and we're growing. And we're going to start building a platform. We're going to start building a structure for a church of 200. And then later we came back and presented to raise that to 250. And now here we are at a membership of a a little over 300. And so now we're in about a year-long process of, of taking the next steps and developing an administrative plan to support a church to grow to about 500. Now does that mean that's where we're going to stop? No. That means that's the next step that we have to take as a church. That means our thinking about the church has to change change. Is everybody with me? Say we're on a journey and it's where the Lord is wanting to take us to and so it requires something out of everybody, it requires something out of leaders I've had to learn the art of delegation and trust, it's been difficult for me and I've, I've had to, to learn to work with people, some personalities that I work with easily, some not so easily, but I've had to learn to work with people and, and 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 it's a process for me it's a process for all the team and staff and leaders and we're going to be calling more leaders into position and into action and, and it's, it requires a shift in everyone's thinking. We we no longer can 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 come to church and think uh, the way we thought when the church was was 125. We we have to now start thinking the church is two and a half times that size. And so as we prepare now to grow to 3 to from 300 to 500, there has to be a shift in how we do things. Things matter more and and we we have to start handling things differently. It's not as easy. It's it's a whole lot easier to manage Manage a group of 30 Than it is to ha- handle a group of 300 it, It's a whole different dynamic And in the midst of everything That is happening In the middle of all of the transitions And meetings and focusing And, 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 and everything that is going on We must never come to church And start looking at job descriptions And start looking at, at, at How is this What's happening I- administratively in the church We have to come into the house of God Can I speak to To every teacher, every leader, every minister, every person on the platform or in the pew. Nobody, nobody miss what I am about to say. When you get here, you may be ushering parking cars, letting somebody in a door working sound on the platform, musician, greeting, helping people, working in security. Whatever you are doing, there is nothing going on in the church at the church, at church time that is more important than us engaging in worship and the word. If we come and this place starts being, it's a business. This is my job. This is my job description. This is what I do. i got to serve tables. I've got to do. But Jesus looked and said, hey, leave this woman alone because she chose the good part. The good part is our worship. No matter what you're doing in the church, no matter what a job, what job description you have, no matter where you fit in, we need to come to the house of the Lord and understand this is not work time. We have, we have jobs to do while we're here. We get that. But the most important thing is that we are worshiping. I don't want a musician to get hung behind the organ or keyboard or drums or in a sound booth or anywhere else that they can't say, hold on for a minute. I gotta worship God. I gotta step out and give Him praise. Requires excellence and with excellence it requires training and in the midst of everything happening don't forget the God of the house the church has to be prepared for growth it's just a fact it's where we are and where we're going to God has been giving me gentle nudges and direction this has probably been one of the slower moves for direction that I have felt from God in, for, in some time God has given me direction over the years. Some of it has come very quickly. But I've been in a season of pondering and wondering and praying. And I'm beginning to see God begin to unfold and give direction. And as I begin to sense what God is wanting to do in the the future, we have to understand what what God is doing is, is working through His people. That means we must be willing. Because if we truly are the hands and feet of God, if we are the mouthpiece of God, everything that we do we must understand. This isn't about me, it's not about my elevation, it is about God. But we cannot get sidetracked with Bethel, the location of the house, and forget about the God of the house. Because when Jacob met God, when God met with him there, he said, wait a second, I'm even going to change the name of the place. I'm no longer going to call this the house of God. I'm going to refer to it as the God of the house. What I'm trying to get at today is that everything our thinking about the church is going to need to change. We have got to stop thinking about what time this church do I feel like going, it has nothing. This is about God. It's about El Bethel. It's about the God of the house. It's about what God is wanting to do in our house. Yes, it's going to require acquire our prayer. It's going to require our commitment. It's going to require our sacrifice. It's going to require our faith. It's going to require our best worship. Yes, I'm asking you and imploring you to get on board and go with us. But I got to tell you tonight that in the middle of everything that is going to be unfolding over the next few months at CLC as we embark on the greatest year that God has ever given us. We're going to end this year. I said it last week. We're going to baptize folks from now to the end of this year and set the stage for 2020. It's going to be one of the greatest year for revival and harvest. I'm speaking it now. We're going to have things in place. It's going to come to pass. It's going to happen, but we've got to have a mind shift now to get ready to say this isn't about me. It's about God, I won't be much longer, but this requires a huge element of faith, and I understand. I was I was out west helping a church with a capital stewardship campaign a few years ago, and I met with the team on the original night. And it was a very nice lady there, and she was a school teacher. She was a standout. I still remember. I would know her if she walked in today. I'll never forget. She scared me to death that night. She was younger than me. And I had made some very bold statements and strong statements regarding their church, and what God wanted to do, where they were going. felt I was really speaking in the Holy Ghost to them. And at the conclusion of the meeting, the lady raised her hand and had a question. And she looked up at the front of the room, and she said, listen. Just because you beat your drum doesn't mean I'm going to dance. She scared me to death. I thought, my word. what are? Now, now let, me, let me say something to you. I understand that I was out helping them, and I understand. So it's not this isn't about her, but I, let me say this to you. I understand there's a huge element of faith. I stand on this pulpit, in this platform behind this pulpit, and I preach to you and I tell you this is what God wants to do and this is how, and I preach the word of the Lord to you and speak these things to you. And I know sometimes we can just say, well, that's just pastor again. It's just, you know, he's just a mindless dreamer. It's just pastor again. He's up there yelling and carrying on and telling people. You you, listen, you've got to make a conscientious decision to decide. Whether you believe that God has placed me at the helm of this church, in this pulpit to lead this church, to lead your family, and to be the man of God to speak to this church, or not, you've got to decide that. But if you believe that God has placed me here, I'm not going to walk to this pulpit and tell you something that I do not feel and sense in the Holy Ghost. I understand it requires a huge element of faith. When I ask you, will you go with us? And people are like, well, I don't know. Let me decide. Listen, most of us have known one another long enough. We need to get past some of this and say, you know what? If this is what God is saying and this is where God's wanting to take the church, I don't have to sit down and contemplate. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If this is where the church is going, this is where my family's going. If this is what the church is doing... This is where I'm going. Abraham had to go out by faith. And he went out on a word from the Lord. The Lord spoke a word to him. And the Bible says Abraham went out by faith not knowing the land for which he was going to inherit for a promise. In other words, he wakes up one morning and God says, wake up, Abraham. I want you to go out and I want you to travel this direction. And he's like, well, God, where am I going? You just go. You just travel. And when you get there, I'm going to. And Abraham had to get out there and then there's a point where he says, alright Abraham, stop where you are. I want you to look to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west and look all the way around you. And so Abraham's looking and he says, he looks to the east, to the west, to the south, to the north and the Lord said, Abraham, everything that you see I'm going to give you think with me now what if Abraham would have said no God you got to tell me where I'm going before I ever go out I got to have all the information all the instruction I got to understand it all before I ever get started let me tell you about the church let me tell you about how God works he often just moves us into a moment and says it's time for the church to move just go in this direction you stay with godliness and holiness in the word of God you preach the truth but come on church we got to say we got to move we got to move move. We got to move. We don't know, but there's going to be a point that God's going to say, stop. Look around you. Everything now belongs to you. So if Abraham, if Abraham would have resisted, perhaps the Lord would have said, look to the south. Everything that you see belongs to you. But because he journeyed by faith, he was able to see more of the promised land. But he had to go out and he was walking in his promise not even knowing it was the promised land. When God said look to the north, south and east and the west, that means Abraham was standing in the middle of his promise but he didn't even know. He went out by faith, not knowing. But when he got out there, the Lord said, now Abraham, you've been walking in your promise all along. Oh, I got a word for somebody tonight. When you make a conscientious decision to step out by faith and say, God, I'm walking in your purpose and your plan, I, I, I'm going to make this easy on you, God, because when you just give me a nudge, I'm going to move. God is going to reveal to somebody in the middle of your circumstance, in the middle, you're you're out and saying, God, where am I? And the Lord's going to say, you've been walking in your promise all along. You just didn't recognize it as a promise, but here's my word. Look around you, everything you see belongs to you. I'm closing, but we've got to be ready to take the journey by faith. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he said, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to befall me. These are difficult times. It's difficult to go into situations where we don't know what is going to be ahead of us. God is urging us and nudging us and pushing us. I have felt that God is moving our church into a season and a time He's given us some rest, but God has been pushing me personally. I sense it and feel it that God is pushing me personally into a time of personal transition. I didn't say anything to the church about it. A few months ago, a couple of months ago, I received a phone call from a trusted man in my life, and he called me and said, God spoke the word to me. And he said, God is getting ready to move you into a time of transition. He said, Don't get nervous. He's not moving you from your post and your place in the church. He said, But He's moving you personally. Into into a time of transition where you're going to begin to see things and understand things in the spirit that you never saw and ever understood again. God's going to call you away into some seclusion. And and he began to speak some things to me about what God wanted to do. It sounded like God wanted to take me into the wilderness. And I listened as the elder was speaking into my life. And and, and he, he says, when you get there, I don't want you to perceive what's going on around you as the absence of his presence. Spencer preached it beautifully in Lebanon today. It doesn't matter if you're in the valley. The presence of the Lord is there. It doesn't matter. God's presence is going with you. But I come tonight to tell you that God is trying to prepare some of us for what He is going to do in the future of the church. And what I'm challenging CLC to do tonight is to look around us and in everything that we're doing, if we're called to prayer, called to fast, called to evangelize, called to labor, called to work, called to give and everything we're doing we've got to just say hey there is an El Bethel there is a God involved in everything that we're doing this isn't about me it isn't about a building it isn't about a program it isn't about being able to say there's more people it is a God involved in all of this lift your hands toward heaven right now and say yes to the Lord all over this building Would you just say yes to the Lord right now? God's preparing you. He's preparing a new wineskin for you. There's a fresh move of His Spirit wanting to sweep into this house. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. God's preparing you for what He wants to do in the future. He's got a fresh move for you. God's wanting to do something fresh in your life. He wants to take you to a new place. You may be unaccustomed to it. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. They'll burst. God's trying to prepare you. You're the new wineskin. God's trying to prepare you for a new, fresh move of His Spirit. He's wanting to take you into a place that you've never been before. Nobody's looking around we're just going to reverence the, the house of God for a moment because the presence of God is here. God's wanting to feel you. There's going to be a transition in some of our minds tonight. We're going to move away from traditional thinking about uh, what have I got to do to all, oh, what am I doing for the Lord? A shift from this just being a Bethel to everything being about El Bethel, the God of the house. I'm calling you tonight to a point and place of commitment. If you're in the room tonight and the Lord is speaking to your heart, I want you just to step from where you are and just walk to the front of this room. just want you to walk to the front of this room tonight just solemnly, Letting God continue to speak to your heart. And as you arrive at the front of this room tonight, I just want you to surrender to the Lord and just say, God, wherever you want to lead me, whatever you want to take me to, whatever you're wanting to do in my life, God, would you just, just do it? Lord, I work in my life. Work in my life. Let me be willing and ready. Let me hear the voice of God clearly. Lord, I don't want to be so distracted by all the the things that's happening around me that I don't hear your voice because the most important thing is hearing the voice of God. Come on, lift your voice right where you are right now. Would you just talk to the Lord? Would you just talk to him right now? Would you just say yes to him right now? God, I'm willing. I'm willing. Here I am, God. Speak a word and I'll follow. Give direction you lead and I'll follow, God. I'll follow your plan. I'll follow what you want to do in my life. Come on, church, lift your voice to the Lord right now, would you? Would you just cry out to God? Would you just cry out to God? Would you talk to Him? Oh, Lord. come on all over the room just cry out to the Lord see Isaiah got so distracted by the things happening around him it took the death and the passing of King Uzziah before he could ever see the Lord high and lifted up because all he saw was the king But then after the passing of the king, he writes, in the year that King Uzziah died, then I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Could there be the death of our will and our desires, our thoughts and our ways? Could some things die? Could some Uzziahs die out in our life? to where we would see the Lord high and lifted up. Come on, there's an El Bethel in the house tonight. He's sweeping over this room. He's in this house. Would you just lift your hands toward heaven and call out to him?